reading this morning, beginning in the book of 2 Samuel. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. And now in the book of Galatians. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. When, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their, by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to to live like Jews? Now in the book of Matthew. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And now Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, David. Nothing like a medley of passages to begin our Sunday morning. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you. You are the man. Not you are the man. No, no. You are the man. I don't know that there is um, a more perfect or sublimely crafted moment of confrontation in the scriptures like what we experience when the prophet Nathan confronts David to his face. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, you can... You can read the, the kind of the full narrative of what's taken place in, uh, in David's life and with Bathsheba on uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, but I'll give you the, uh, the TikTok version of it just so you can kind of, everyone's on the same page. Um, so here what we have is we have David, who's the king, who finds himself sleeping with and seduce, seducing and sleeping with Uriah's wife. Um, he, Uriah's one of his mighty men, and he's off to war for David. So, you know, classy. Um, and so, so that's going on, and so next thing you know, we find out that Bathsheba is pregnant. And so David does an even better thing. He brings Uriah home and tries to have him sleep with his wife so he can cover over his own adultery. Uriah won't do it, so then he sends Uriah to the front to get killed on purpose, committing murder. That's the story of what's unfolded. And of course, then David, you know, marries Bathsheba because everything is going to be fine now. And enter Nathan. Nathan has been sent by God to David 
And he walks in, and, and let's just be really honest. There's a ton at stake right now for, for Nathan. I think for those of you who know the story, you're like, of course, you know, they're, like, they're pals. But, like, Nathan's walking in, and he's talking to David, the king, who has apparently no problem killing people to cover his tracks, right? So let's just reframe the reality of Nathan coming to David and confronting him to his face. Not only that, but he's the king. He doesn't have a board of trustees, you know. There's not like a, you know, there's not an executive branch, you know, a, a legislative branch. No, no, he's all the branches. So Nathan takes his very life in his hands and at the risk of his life goes and confronts David. And he does it in the most artful way. He describes this incredible story that we just had heard David read. And he's talking about this lamb and this family. And, and what he does is he snares David. He catches David. And David indicts himself. And that great phrase, you are the man, comes ringing down. I say it's probably one of the most powerful stories of confrontation because, because David will respond in the following chapters of, of 2 Samuel and particularly in the Psalms. And what we get in the story of David is we get to watch a man who truly repents and owns the gravity and the reality of what he has done. He repents. He's been confronted and he repents. And now all of us, as we've gotten to follow David as people who will repent, have his example, his Psalms, his prayers, his longings, to fall back on as the way in which one repents when confronted with egregious sin, let alone ordinary sin. There is power in confrontation, real, real power. And we're in this series, uh, we're called uh, Becoming Good at People, which is, um, and this is the last Sunday of it, but this is basically a series that's, that's focused primarily on thinking through the reality of what does it mean for us to be the kind of people who are going to love our neighbor as ourselves? What kind of relational practices are we going to practice that reflect the heart of God and display the gospel that we claim to believe in? And so we've looked at a variety of different things. We spent the last few weeks looking at things like um, the power of, of curiosity and, and comforting. We've, we've looked at what does it look like to be vulnerable enough to, to choose to be in need in front of one another. We looked at the power of what it means to be connected to each other and to, to strangers through hospitality. And in the last two weeks in particular, we've, we've looked at the key areas of confession and, and forgiveness, of confessing and forgiving, which, which, let's be honest, are the bedrock. They're the, one of the foundational elements and practices of our very faith. So this morning, we come to confronting. And what we're saying in each one of these practices is that it takes both courage and humility. It takes both courage and humility if we're going to be the kind of people that are going to walk towards one another and live this powerful life vibrant before one another and for one another. It's the way of Jesus. Jesus was the best at people, and he's inviting us to follow him through the power of his spirit. And there's a, there's a world that's watching that's longing for that kind of vibrancy, that, that kind of real life deep in the bones, that kind of countercultural thinking that says, I don't understand how you can possibly choose to forgive, to confront, to love, to confess in these ways. And yet we get to be those people. And as the Spirit wills, we become more and more of these people. But this morning we're focusing on what, we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about confronting. 
about confronting. Now, we're going to focus this morning, I'm, I'm counting and kind of talking about confronting from a personal standpoint, relational confrontation. I'm not talking about social confrontation of the, you know, the ills of the world. I'm not talking about how you want to take on abortion. I'm not talking about issues like that. That's not, that's not the focus of what we're trying to talk about this morning. Are we called to confront culture as Christians? Absolutely we are. Almost always involves people, though, doesn't it? And I would actually presume to say that if you're going to find yourself taking on the world, taking on the evils of the world and trying to, to break down some of the broken systems of the world, and if you don't know how to do it with your family and with your community, my suspicion is you won't be very effective. Because at the end of the day, the way in which we confront one another is directly woven into the reality of what it's going to look like for us to confront the broken things anywhere. So with that in mind... We're going to look at what it looks like to confront one another. And this is exciting stuff. I know you're like, confronting, this is terrible. All, all the nine Enneagram people, your S, discs S people, you're like, this is the worst sermon ever. It's not. This is actually genuinely exciting stuff. Because when we become the kind of people that will confront, like it changes all kinds of things. I'm going to show you why. So let's talk, look first at the purpose of confronting, and then we're going to spend some time looking at the principles and process of confronting together. So the purpose of confronting, why in the world do we do this? Well, the first, the first purpose for confronting is uh, to restore to God. To restore to God and to realign to the gospel kind of living. To restore to God and to realign to gospel living. Let's look at, at uh, Galatians 6.1 that we read. Paul says, brothers, us, brothers and sisters, if anyone has, is caught in any transgression, so he doesn't even qualify it, he's just saying if you're caught in anything, if there's something going on, if you've sinned against somebody, if you've sinned against God, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. You who are spiritual should restore him. The Greek there is, um, is, a, is a picture of, of a dislocated limb. Have you guys ever dislocated a shoulder or anything like that? It's pretty terrible looking. Um, and and the, picture, the Greek picture there is like is something that's been dislocated that's been put back in alignment. And it works again. That's the, that's the picture of restoration. That's what it means for us. That's the purpose. We're going to try and get a limb that's out of, that's out of alignment back into alignment. Now you're out of joint with God and eventually, if you're out of joint with God, you're going to be way out of joint with other people. That's precisely what we see Paul doing in Galatians 2. Um, in Galatians 2, verse, uh, verse 12, you have this incredible scene. you got two, two giants of our faith here, right? you got Peter and you got Paul. And uh, it says in, in verse 12, it says, For um, before certain men came from James, which is the, the brother of Jesus and the one who's kind of running the church in Jerusalem, he, that's Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. This is in Antioch, okay? So they're in Gentile country, and he's eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. This is, this is a, a Gentile-Jew dynamic, right? And according to the law, Jews were not allowed to eat with Gentiles. And so Peter, who's been saved by grace, is eating with Gentiles, and then suddenly these dudes show up from the circumcision party from Jerusalem, and Peter's like, yeah, I'm not going to eat with you guys anymore. And it makes a mess. This is, this is Peter, like, you know, the pillar of the church. And he's, and he's pulling himself away. 
And it says in, in verse 14, it says that Paul confronts Peter. He says, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He's realigning their reality the, the, to the truth of the gospel. Namely, Peter, you know this. You can't add anything to your faith. You can't take circumcision and be like, yeah, it's your faith plus something. It's, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? That's, that's the narrative of the gospel. And, and suddenly Peter's not doing that. He's going like, yeah, but they're Gentiles and they're not circumcised, and so I'm going to step away. And He's not in line. He's, he's dislocated, right? He's not following the way that the gospel points to reality through grace. And secondly, he's acting like a racist, Right? He's, it's his ethno-superiority. It's, it's the Jews are better than the Greeks. And, and <laughs> Ephesians was clear. Christ was clear. Like, listen, that thing got destroyed. There is none of that. It's not like Jews are better. And, and Peter's declaring this by how he's acting. And, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. I, I had, to, had to confront him because he was not in line with, he was dislocated. I needed to relocate him in because he was not aligned with God. He was disconnected from the reality of the gospel. So Paul confronts him. Now remember, that confrontation is not based on our opinion of the person, whether they're great or not great, or even the kind of transgression. It's any transgression. We're there as ambassadors with the role of faithfully representing the message of the king. See, Peter, Paul wasn't taking Peter on, on a personal thing. He was taking him on in light of the message of the king of kings that Peter was violating. We're agents of restoration and renewal. It's exactly what Nathan is doing there with David, right? He is sent as an agent of restoration and renewal that, that there would be restoration back to God. So the first purpose is restoration to God. And the second is restoration of relationship. So it's restoration back to God to be back in line with what's true about God. And the second is restoration of relationship. Matthew 18, famous passage about Jesus giving the one, two, three about how you relate to people when it comes to confrontation. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It's a great word. It literally means like you've earned, you've earned him back. You've earned him or her back. You, you got him back. You had lost them in a sense, and, and you've purchased them back by your pursuit of them. We confront in order to bring the opportunity for healing in the relationship. So restoring relationship. That's why we confront to restore relationship through the power of forgiveness. We talked about this last week, right? That you go, first you go and you forgive, and then you come and you confront uh, someone did a great job of this just uh, just a few months ago. I think it was late November, early December. Um, they reached out to me, and I I'd, I'd communicated. I'd sent a text message to a bunch of folks about an event that was coming up, and and they had responded back to me by saying, "Hey, we can't come, and and here's kind of why. There's a bunch of stuff going on in our family that's really challenging, and and we're honestly just kind of like really struggling." And I read it and didn't respond. And it was weighty stuff, and I uh, got, let, you know, let my life, the way I do my life sometimes, just run away. And um, so I, I get this, this uh, t text message that says, hey, listen, we'd love to, to meet and talk about uh, something. There's, there's some pain and struggle that we have in light of something that happened, and give me just a quick sense of that it was about a, a communication piece, and immediately I knew. I was like, 
oh my goodness, I never replied. And it, it, was, it, was, it was awesome. So we communicated via test, and I said, listen, we need to get some face-to-face -face time. And so we got to sit down after a service back in the conference room, and I got to just kind of hear the specific ways in which what I chose to not be a part of and what I missed out on by not stepping in, by being the kind of person who's so busy and has so many things going on that I didn't love well. And so their sense of disconnection, a sense of isolation got amplified, and they were wounded, and rightly so. They put themselves out there in vulnerability, and I was like, sorry, this, doesn't, this isn't important enough for me to stop for a minute and engage it and, and just say, I'm really, really sorry. Sinned against him. He sat down and talked through it, and he, and he challenged me with grace and with, with the reality, the full reality, and I got to confess, I got to confess and repent, and, and he forgave me, and, and it was restoration of relationship. Like we walked out of that room, and I felt like, you know what I felt? I felt protected. Because what it meant is that that confrontation was protecting our relationship. It was protecting their ability to be able to hear words come out of my mouth and have them impact them. Because they didn't have a block there of resentment or frustration. I'm not going to slowly peace out because I was such a jerk on that day, you know? I felt protected. That's what good confrontation does. It restores a relationship. And thirdly, not only restores a relationship, not only restores someone to God, but it protects the community. It, it protects the community. In Galatians 2.13, we see that it says that the rest of the Jews, Paul says, acted hypocritically along with Peter so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Do you see what happened here? One of the reasons why it was so pivotal for Paul to take on Peter is that other people were being drawn away from the way of the gospel. It says even Barnabas. You can just almost hear Paul going like, even Barnabas. I mean, Barnabas is the guy who went and got P Paul and brought him in. And like, he's the guy that connects to everybody. You know, he's that guy. He's like, even Barnabas wouldn't eat with them anymore. Come on. And that's why he had to confront Paul. He had to confront Paul because it was affecting the entire community. Sin has communal impact. I, this is a strange thing. Because we're such an individualistic culture, we have a sense that, like, if I sin, it's just me. It doesn't affect anybody else, right? As long as, especially if it's secretive, right? When we sin, we impact the community. And what Scripture is pointing us to in this is that we're actually responsible for one another in community. It's actually what you signed up for when you became a Christian. I know it wasn't, in, it was like in the fine print. But it's that you became, as you were grafted in by Christ into this family, you became responsible so that when you see a brother, we see so many examples of this articulate, when you see a brother or sister who's fallen in transgression, who's lost their way, that you are responsible to go get them, to confront them, it says. It's commanded. It's part of what it looks like to have vital relationship, which is one of the reasons why when we do, when you become a member here, we have you stand up here, we have you say these kinds of words. We ask you the question, will you challenge them? Would you, this, is, this is back and forth. Will you challenge them to be true to their high calling in Christ? And will you yourself live out in our midst the gospel that we proclaim? Will you, will you challenge each other or as a community, as members, are we going to challenge one another to be true to the high calling that we have in Christ. And it's a high calling. It's a good calling. 
It's a life-fulfilling calling, but it is a high calling. And, and will we be the kind of people who will challenge, who will confront each other when that's not the way it's playing out? Because we are a communal people. Now, I know some of you might be like, okay, I'm just, I'm just really not confrontational. Like, it's not part of my personality. Or, and, 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 and I want you to know I, I hear you. I don't actually know a ton of people that love confrontation. You know, there's a few folks out there, and we just get you tested, you know. But I, I don't think that there's a ton of people that are like, please give me a chance to take somebody on today. But it's what real love looks like. It's what real love looks like according to the scriptures. That you're loving your brother by taking him on. You're loving your sister by taking her on in light of what you're seeing in there. So, so let's just do a quick, like, group exercise. Why don't we? Why don't you? Why why don't you confront when you maybe know you should? What, what are some of the reasons why? What, what's at stake if you are to confront somebody? Backlash? Like relational backlash, right? I mean, like you may lose relationship. Anybody ever confronted somebody and it went badly and you don't talk to them anymore and they really don't talk to you anymore? Yeah, relational backlash. What else? What, other, what's that, what else is at stake? What's that? You want to please people, right? Keep people happy? That's, and <laughs> depending on, like, what kind of family you grew up in, like, that is, like, cardinal reality, right? Absolutely. Please people. What else? You don't want to be judgmental. Man, I feel that all the time. That's probably one of my strongest ones. I don't want to come across like I'm self-righteous and I have it all together. Right? Just kind of the implication, right? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who do you think you are? Would you not soon? Right? I mean, there's a sense, right, that if I'm the one who's going to come to you, like, I have to have, like, a squeaky clean perfect record, which is not what the scriptures say at all, right? Like, the squeaky clean record belongs to Jesus, not to me. But, but I'm, I'm, that's, I'm the most afraid that I'm going to appear like I'm self-righteous or like I'm s pretending like I have it all together. That's huge. I think a lot of us really struggle with that. Other things? Anything else? Falling on deaf ears. It doesn't go well, right? It, it's either ignored or denied, Either ignored or denied, or uh, sometimes it gets worse than that, right? You get, you get explosion, right? You, and maybe this is what you grew up with, right? You, you say the thing that was out of line, and someone poof, explodes, and so you're not going to go there again. Or people implode, right? Like some of you, like confronting you is like, it's like punching a kitten, you know? It's like, it's, right? I mean, that's, it's vivid because it's real. It's like, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to. Ah, off you go and hide under the couch, you know? It's like. That's what it's like to confront. So it's just like, well, don't do that again because that's just not a great experience. Or, but some of you, it's like you confront you and you're like, poof, right? We explode. Or some of us are just, we just deny. Nah, not me. That's not how I played out. You misunderstood the whole thing and, and you, you can't touch this, right? It's Teflon. So it doesn't go well. That's one of the, <laughs> yeah, fool me once, right? Fool me twice. So there's plenty of reasons why we wouldn't. I think one of the things that, that the Bible points to is that the fact that if you're going to confront somebody, you're opening yourself up to be confronted, right? Same measure in which you use, so you'll be measured to you. If you go, and you, those of you who are married, you know this, like, you bring this up, oh, oh but then they bring this up. You're like, ah, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Never mind, I won't bring that up again, right? <laughs> you start doing this nice little dance when no one brings anything up unless it's really, really bad. And that's true in all our relationships. Is that if, if I'm going to call you on this, then I'm opening the door for you to call me on it. If we're going to have that kind of a relationship, which that's exactly what Jesus wants, to have that kind of relationship, we're going to actually confront each other when things are broken and when we sin against one another. We want to stay protected. So great reasons to stay hidden. It's easier to resent and judge from a distance, isn't it? Yeah, they're, they're in real trouble. They're really struggling. 
So we could either cut off relationship or we just quietly shun. But confrontation takes courage. It takes courage for everyone because there's always something at stake. It could be something small. It could be something large. But there's always something at stake. And uh, frankly, in Antioch, like the birth of the church was at stake when, when Paul's confronting Peter. The kingdom was at stake when Nathan was confronting David. The kingdom is at stake with us as we confront and challenge one another. I think one of the best verses to kind of hold to when it comes to just the sense of purpose of why do we do this is Proverbs 27, 6. I think this is the, the best picture. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, I think one of the other versions says uh, an enemy multiplies kisses. As in like they blow smoke up your chimney, right? They're not telling you the truth about reality. They just, they want what they can get from you. But a, but a real friend a real friend's wounds are faithful. Do you have the kind of people in your life that are going to give you faithful wounds? We confront because it's a demonstration of love. So what principles and processes do we see in the scriptures? The purpose of confronting is, is clear. It's for the sake of the other and for the sake of the community. Then what are the principles and the process that we see from Scripture? Well, the first we see is that uh, before you do anything else, evaluate your own heart. Before, now that you've heard that we should confront out of love, before you run out and start confronting everybody, like, step one is, as the theologian Ice Cube says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> That's sound advice. Sound advice. Jesus says it a little differently. He says in Luke 17, pay attention to yourself. And this is the context, right? If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So, so pay attention to yourself. Check your heart first. He goes on, actually far beyond that. And talking in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how does this look? What does this play itself out as? He says in, in chapter 7 of Matthew, he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? I know you know this, but, but think about it. Why do you look at the thing that's wrong in their eye, the little thing, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Examine your heart first. Confrontation always begins with you. Not with them, but with you. Because we all struggle, all of us, with indwelling sin, and we have to begin here. We must make sure that we've dealt with our anger, with our, with our impatience, with our self-righteousness, with our pride, with our bitterness. We must make sure that those have been handled before we walk into the room into the coffee shop, into the conversation. When we start with our own confession, we're at a far better place to help someone else get to theirs. Galatians 1 says, Brothers, if any of you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, let's talk about the two pieces. You, leave it up here. You who are spiritual, 
I know you're thinking, like, that's those of you that, like, have, like, the special halo walking in. No, that's not what it's saying. This, this, this literally means those of you who are pneumaticos, literally, of the Spirit, those of you who have the Spirit in you and who by default are walking according to the Spirit, those of us who are listening to what the Spirit is saying and then acting in light of what he's saying, those of you who are spiritual, not those of you who are perfect, not those of you who are sinless, those of you who are listening to the Holy Spirit and walking in light of what he says, those are the people who are too, because they've checked themselves with the Spirit, are then able to come and pursue the other. And what does it say in the second part? Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Why, why all the warnings about pay, t- keeping watch over yourself? What, what's, what's so much, what's at stake here that if like, if you're going to confront, you better watch yourself? I think Scripture seems to point to two different things. One, it's twofold. Reminder that you are not immune from sin. No one is immune from sin. And in the very act, and two, I think, is in the very act of confronting, it naturally pushes us towards a place of self-righteousness and pride. It's kind of natural because when I see how ugly you are, really close up to me, I don't feel so ugly anymore. And my thing is, as we said last week, it's complicated for me. You're, you're a liar, but for me it's complicated, right? So that's, that's how we end up seeing it. So the invitation is to be of the Spirit and to guard ourselves, to, to pay attention to our heart first. The second thing is, um, as far as the principles and the, and the process for confronting, is that the scope of the offense should match the scope of the confrontation. And I know this is crazy in our day and age, but like sometimes it's public. Actually, if you read the Bible, most of the time it's public. There's a lot of public confrontation. It says in Galatians 2, right, Paul said, I said to Cephas, to Paul, before them all. So, so, so Peter's been sitting in front of a bunch of people. He pulled in front, away in front of a bunch of people, and so he says, I confronted him in front of them all. Peter was a leader, and he'd He'd taken sin to a place where it affected the community, and because it affected the community and it was public, his rebuke was public. Matthew 16, if you remember, is Jesus is with his disciples, and Peter makes this incredible confession. You are the, you are the Christ, the Son of the, ris- of the risen God, of the living God. And, and it's like you can hear the angels clapping, good job, Peter. And then like two minutes later, he's like, Jesus is like, hey, by the way, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die there. And he's like, never, right? This is the great dichotomy of Peter, which is one of the reasons I love him. And Jesus says the famous words, get behind me. Now, I'm just going to say that's probably the roughest rebuke anyone's ever gotten, right? Like, I mean, if you've used that on your children, I think we should have a conversation a little bit. You know, I'm just saying, like, that, that's, that's maybe reserved for a certain moment in the scriptures only. But, but that is a rebuke, like, that's a rebuke rebuke, right? But he did it publicly. He didn't go like, all right, Peter, come here. Stop it. No, 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 no. no. He, he, Peter had made that declaration in front of all the disciples. Guess what? Jesus handled it in front of all the disciples. Sometimes it's public. The scope of the transgression affects the scope of the confrontation. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Um, I was at a, 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 a men's retreat thing, and there was a guy named Larry Bolden that came over and sat at our table, and he was the leader of the event. And um, he started, like, like, asking a bunch of questions of uh, one of the guys that I was on this retreat with. And, like, 
this buddy of mine, like his heart just like, like kind of shattered in front of me. He starts crying and all this stuff's going on and whatever. Why? Well, this is a good friend of mine. I'm feeling super kind of protective. I'm like, who are you? Who's this yokel? You know, coming over and like destroying my buddy's heart, you know? And so I made like some kind of like lightning, you know, joke that's kind of lightened the mood or whatever. I, I will never forget this moment. He, so, I, so I'm sitting next to him. My buddy's straight in front of me and he's crying. And he just turns to me, like super quick, just turns to me and goes, Matt, don't deflect with humor. And then poof, went back at him. And I was like, excuse me? I paid for this retreat. You know, I mean, it's the, <laughs> you are here because of me. Um, so I know, but seriously, I, I did not like that at all. You know, I'm like, first of all, I know him better than you. And like, I do this. You, no, who are you to do this? And you know what? I was upset. I was frustrated. And he was right. He was right. And, and I can have a tendency to do that, especially when it's not my agenda, when it's happening. Like, this is something I can do, is deflect with humor. And, and I want you to know that moment, like, it's seared in my heart and mind. It's something that I have to keep tabs on personally, even to this day. It was a rebuke publicly to the group. I mean, it was, wow. But he loved me, and he actually loved my buddy, too, because it affected the way in which we related to one another, because now we we're on the watch for that. And let's be honest, men, we were terrible at that, right? Let's make jokes to keep it, oh, gets uncomfortable, make a joke. You know, like, that's not love, right? A good rebuke. Now, I just want to say, public rebukes take real wisdom, real wisdom, to know when and how to do that in your family, in your friendships. But let's, let's just talk real quick. If you're part of, like, let's say, a community group or a community of friends and, and, um, some of the principles by which and, and that, that you're trying to fight for as a community, let's say curiosity or, or just being a safe place where people are going to, like, pursue one another, and someone starts violating that publicly, right, starts, starts like, making jokes that are inappropriate or uh, has all the answers for everyone, if you don't confront it live in the group, it will become the culture of your group. That's actually how it works, which is one of the reasons why it's so pivotal if you're a leader that you're going to be, okay, here we go. Hey, listen, I, I hear you. It seems like you're trying to answer him. We're, gonna, we're, we're trying to not answer each other unless we're asking a question. They're asking a question from us. And so let's be curious about one another. Is that cool? You ready? Like, that's not a joke. That person might be like, who, what, who do you think you are, right? Oh, you're self-righteous, right? I mean, it, but that's how you establish a culture, right? That's how you're going to fight for that which is good. And you have to confront publicly with wisdom. If you're not sure if you can should confront publicly, pray, 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 ask wise people, pray, pray, pray. But most of the time, it's, it's private, right? You see that in Jesus' uh, clear declaration in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I mean, that's, that's pretty direct here. So it seems like, so most of the time, we're going to pursue each other individually, one-on-one. -on -one. That seems like to be the normative principle for confronting someone and only if there is no repentance do you then escalate, right? Now, if confronting's about you, about you getting your pound of flesh, you know, we talked about last week, then, then if you got, and if they don't repent, doesn't matter, you got yours, right? You, you were able to tell them what was on your mind. And you get to walk away. But, but, if, but if it's about them, if it's about them being formed and restored to God and restored in relationship, then you do go get someone else. You say, we got to get this brother. We got to get this sister back in. We got to pull them back towards what is good. We have to realign them to the gospel. You see, that's why, that's how it's playing. It's all because it's about restoration for their soul and their heart. That's what love looks like. 
It's how we pursue one another. But notice that whether you're in a group or in private, the engagement is direct. Engagement is direct. Paul, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. He didn't oppose him to behind his back. He didn't, you know, text Barnabas and be like, can you believe Peter right now? Like, none of that. And, and I would say this is probably one of the, I, I, this, is, this, is, this is Matt, speculation. I would say to the degree in which there is healthy confrontation within a Christian community or a church, to that degree there is low gossip and slander and disunity. To the degree in which there's very little confrontation, there is high gossip and slander. Because if we're not going to tell each other the truth, then we're going to talk about each other. That's what we're going to do. Because at least we get to get it out a little bit with each other. And that's not the kind of people we want to be. That's not the kind of people we've been made to be. Courageous, alive, confronting and love kind of people. So the scope should match. The scope should match. Thirdly, it should be based on Scripture. The content of the conversation is always the Bible. It's not about my truth or your truth or you live in your truth. And my, it's about the truth. What does God say about this? The Bible guides us not only in what we say but how we say it, which means that we need, we need to find ourselves entering moments of confrontation with a specific understanding of the thing that we're about to confront someone on. And not just some vague notion, not some like quick verses, you know, like that we can, that we can toss in, but a real understanding of the themes and the perspectives, the commands that God's giving him and why he's giving them. Let me give you an illustration. If, if, um, if you're going to confront someone about the fact that they're drinking too much, uh, you know, about drunkenness, you could be like, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There you go. But, but, but I, I would say that if you're going to do it effectively, then you better do the work of understanding why. What is significant about drunkenness? Oh, by the way, Jesus drank, drank wine, and apparently we're going to drink wine in the new heavens and new earth. And, and there's the, on this mountain, there's going to be, like, the best kind of wine. And the, he goes to a feast. So what in the world? How does, what is, how does alcohol really work? Are you going to do the work to become the kind of person who's versed in a concept and, so that you can actually move towards someone saying, and looking at the totality of how God talks about these things, here's where I think this lands, and I think you're out of step. I think you're out of joint. I think, I think you've stepped over a line, and you're not about the thing in light of what it's designed to be. You're about it in a way that's trying to numb, anesthetize, run away, and not deal with your life. You, you see, it's coming out of the scripture, not about your opinion or not what your mama said was good or bad. I don't care about that. What does the Bible say about it? So we confront with the Bible always, with a clear understanding, doing the work. Fourthly, it's done with gentleness and meekness. With gentleness and meekness, again, Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speak the truth in love. It's probably what we've heard the most, right? Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So we speak the truth in love. Simple word there is take stock of your attitude, not just your words. When we speak, our words, are they spoken in kindness? Are they spoken with, with meekness? 
sense of patience, with, with, forbear, with forbearance and forgiveness ready to be offered, with compassion and love. Failure to do this removes the God-honoring opportunity for someone to really move from confrontation to repentance. So we need to engage with the message and the attitude with which we speak. And simply said, how you say what you say matters as much as what you say. Because the goal is their restoration, right? Not your getting it off your, sho- your shoulders or out of your ch- off your chest. Scripture even says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Well, you can shirk it, says in Romans, but his kindness was given to invite us towards repentance, and that's what we get to give one another. I think there's a sense in which, um, what would it look like to come with humility, right? We talked about this a whole entire series, but humility and confidence, confident humility. What would it look like to say, listen, I may be wrong here. Because I don't know your heart and, and because there, there may be, n- I may not understand all the situation entirely. But I know my own heart better than anyone else's and I'm definitely aware of how sinful I can be. And, and, if, and if I did what you did in this situation or if I said what you said in this situation or if I acted the way you acted in this situation, I'm pretty sure that I'd be operating out of pride or out of anger, out of resentment, out of jealousy, out of bitterness. And because of what I've observed here and here and here and so tell me, is my observation anywhere near reality? Like, that's speaking the truth in love, right? That's, that's with the spirit of gentleness speaking the truth. I think that's one of the great things about how we see Nathan, I use the word that he ensnares, he, he ensnares David and allows him to, in, to, um, to indict himself. Now, I'm not suggestion, suggesting that anytime you're going to confront somebody, you come up with some elaborate story that has the other person, like, saying, oh, that's me, you know, like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's a sense of, like, how can I craft this conversation? What kind of u- words can I use? What, what, uh, what, can, I, what can I do in, a, in every way possible to make it easiest for you to see and respond? That's what confrontation is supposed to look like is that I'm trying to get you back in, not, not to get my thing out. So we use words wisely. Sometimes that means preparation. If you've got a serious confrontation, you, you should prepare. You should think about what words you want to use and what words you don't want to use because that's the currency of love and confrontation is how you have prepared the words that you're going to speak and the spirit you're going to have when you speak them. That's what love looks like. So gentleness, gentleness, absolutely. Probably might need to give someone time. That's very possible too. But, but, it, but it must culminate in a true direct confrontation. Y- you have to say the words, right? You are the man. Like, there has to be that moment where it's like, and I'm seeing that in you. you you're, the, you're the man. You're, you're the woman. You're the one who's done this or is doing this or, or you did this and this is how it affected me and it was pretty rough. So when was the last time that you confronted someone in love? And we said there's a lot of blocks and barriers for not doing it. I, I agree. When was the last time you did it? And maybe the question this morning is, is there anyone that God might be inviting you to confront now? In love, for their sake? 
just want to say one quick word. If, 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 you're, if you're being or you have been confronted, we've been talking about the, the work of, which is what the invitation, the command is, right? If you're being or have been confronted um, in, a spirit of gentle, in a spirit of gentleness or not in a spirit of gentleness, that happens probably more than we'd like. And here's three rules that I would just invite you into. If you're being confronted, so if you're Peter, you're sitting there and Paul's like, I confronted him to his face. Invitation for Peter would be to say, tell me more. Can you sh- show me the time? Ask. Be curious. Our first thing, right? Power of curiosity. Ask and get more information. Give me more specifics. Okay, tell me more about specifically how this affected you. Like what, ki- what kind of, what did it hit on? Because I want to understand, I want to get my arms around the whole totality of it. So if someone's confronting you, ask questions. If you're just there silent, hoping it's going to end soon, that's probably not going to end up being a really restorative type of relationship and conversation. But ask questions. Ask questions of the person and then ask questions of God. Go away and be like, Lord, what is it about what they said is true? Will you tell me? I told you. If you ask him, he'll tell you. He's really good about that. If you ask him, he will convict you of sin. I promise you. He will show you what it is. And that's good news. That's what an alive person looks like. Ask God. Ask God to show you. And then lastly, take it to the people you trust and love and say, so this was shown to me. Do you see this too? In what ways have you seen it and did you experience it? And it might actually open up opportunities for you to repent right then and there with them. That's how we become new people. That's how communities are forged and formed that are alive and vibrant and powerful. So, when was the last time you got confronted? Has it been six years? Has it been six? I, 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 I have the benefit of getting to do a decent amount of confrontation, and, and I get a decent amount of confrontation come my way. It's actually kind of a cool thing, because I get to practice this a decent amount, and I don't do it well all the time. And but when was the last time someone confronted you? That's something they see. And maybe more importantly, if no one's confronting you about anything, what might that say about the way in which you relate that is keeping anybody from telling you the truth? Because you are awesome people. You really are. But I would suspect that there's some stuff that could use some trimming in your life. Some change, some reformation, some renewal, some relocation. And so the invitation I will have to you and is... And I have this in your community group questions, but is maybe you go to some people you trust and say, hey, what is it about the way I relate that might, might make it difficult for someone to confront me, to tell me the truth in love? And then listen and ask a bunch of questions. It might open up a whole new opportunity for you to be loved that you have not experienced right now. How do we become these kinds of people? How do we become the kind of people, all, all the things, right? They're going to be cured. How do we become the kind of people that are going to be courageous and love like that? I mean, I think we can all acknowledge this is not normative, right? Is this normative for any of you? This is not a normative way in which the church operates, and we should be the best at this. We should be showing everybody else how to do it. We should be able to go to our workplaces and confront people who are, who are, who are struggling or who are failing and be able to do it incredibly better than anybody else who doesn't know Jesus because we have the spirit of gentleness and it's because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so, so we must do it here first and foremost. So how do we become those kinds of people? And imagine, first of all, just imagine if we were. How do we become these kinds of people? We can confront with courage and humility because we've been confronted by God through his word, no doubt, but with Christ on the cross, 
There's no greater confrontation of how egregious our sins are that the Son of God had to die for them, for us. That's a declaration. That's a confrontation. It took that. That's how rough it is. There's also no greater declaration of how loved you are that Jesus chose to die for you. That's why this table is so amazing, right? This meal is simultaneously a table that confronts us because he had to die, and it comforts us because he chose to die. And so when you get invited every week to come here, it, it does confront you, right? It invites you towards experiencing the reality of all that falls short. And simultaneously it says, come as you are, that you may, be, may receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. This is a table of forgiveness and repentance. It's a table of comfort and confrontation. This is a reminder of the beauty and the power of Jesus on your behalf. And so that's why we can be those kinds of people. This is true. You've been confronted. It was terrible, and he did it for you. Now he's inviting you to move out into the world to be the kind of people that give that away in abundance. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have made it possible by your great mercy for us to be able to confront our brothers, our sisters, our family, our community, with love. Not in order to get something, but in order to give something because something has been given to us. We have been accepted. We have been loved. And you have you've demonstrated that as clearly as possible when you hung on the cross for us. So this is the declaration. We belong. We belong to you. Nothing can be taken away from us. We're grounded in your love, rooted in it. And so we come to this table, Lord, and we long to be confronted. We long to be comforted. I want to experience both of those simultaneously that we would be people of courage who move into the lives of, of disconnected neighbors and friends, of isolated community with courage and, and, um, and, and love. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. So Lord, would you make us those kinds of people by your power and through your grace? We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. So come forth and uh, receive the grace of Christ for you.